This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. IBME provides in-depth mindfulness programs for teens and young adults, helping our kids learn awareness, compassion, and concentration practices. And these mindfulness practices help develop essential skills our kids need, such as deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication skills. The courses not only teach mindfulness practices, they help teens apply them and create a community for our kids to work with. This summer, they have online courses and retreats, as well as an in-person retreat. They have programs like multiple teen and young adult retreats, community conversations around equity and interdependence, LGBTQIA teen and young adult retreat, and monthly rainbow family meditations, monthly meditations for communities of color, and so much more. You can get details and you can register at ibme.com. Just be sure to enter your email so you stay updated on new offerings as they frequently add new programs. That's ibme.com. Today's show is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America easy. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey making it incredibly easy to compare options and book your vacation, and letting Omeo save you time and money. I know I'm looking forward to using it to compare different ways of reaching the same destination on my next vacation. Are you ready to get out and travel? Omeo wants to help by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head over to omeo.com, O-M-I-O.com, and use the code LISTENER5, all in caps in the number five, when you check out. The code's valid until June 30th for new users on all modes of transport at Omeo, where you can plan, book, and love your journey. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast, with a quick reminder for you to pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab the free email series I have for you on how to talk to your teen. Parents. We don't always believe this, but our teens still need us. They want to feel connected to us. And that connection is incredibly supportive. And it's really a shield against many of the difficult aspects of growing up that they are dealing with. It also strengthens our relationship with our child. But talking to your teenager can feel impossible sometimes. I know that. I know some of you are shaking your heads. The rolling eyes, the slamming doors, the secretive behavior, it just all leaves us feeling frustrated and wondering how we can possibly ever have a conversation, much less some of the ones that I ask you to have from here from Mighty Parenting. So I am got I got some help for us. I have Deborah Ann Davis with us. She is the author of the book How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. She has wonderful years of experience of working with other people's children too. So she knows our pain and she's going to have tips for us today. Deborah, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so why do you say that it is um, so important 
for us to find a way to talk to our teens without this door slamming and eye rolling. Cause I know a lot of families are out there and we just ignore it and we just go, okay, whatever, you know, like I'm too tired to deal with this anymore. We don't get why they're doing it. And it just doesn't feel like that hill you want to die on. Right. People tell you, pick your battles, Yes. but you actually tell us like, this does matter. This makes a difference. Why does it matter? Uh, it turns out that one third of college freshmen drop out. They don't make it through first semester. And one of the reasons that that happens is because they don't know how to connect and be established and they're not secure in themselves. And you can create that connection and self-worth and self-assuredness through your relationship with your teen or tween. And once they get to the point where they don't feel that connection, then they feel adrift and everything depends on them. For example, if they don't think they can come to talk to you about problems, then they will think, well, I got to solve the problem. And if you're 14 and thinking you're going to have to solve your problems from here on out, there's fear and resentment and mistrust of the adult because you don't feel like they have your back. And that stuff can get caused by really mundane things that, you know, the parent interacts or reacts in a way that the kid's not anticipating. And they think, wow, what's going on? Because they just got blindsided by heavy discipline over something that they thought was minor. And then they think, well, my parent doesn't get me. They don't understand. Who am I going to talk to? Oh, I'll go talk to that other 14-year-old because they'll know the answer. (laughs) So you've got these people who don't have their frontal lobe, which is your logic and reasoning area, it's not developed yet. And they're telling each other how they should be conducting themselves. I remember back to high school and some of the conversations we had or questions that other girls asked me, like people I wasn't close friends with. I I think they maybe didn't want to talk to a real close friend and they would say something to me. And just some of the things that we believe at that age are kind of out there. And as a parent, we forget about that and we forget how heavy things can feel. That was one of the things I heard you saying there is our kids can just feel the weight and burden of having to deal with just life and knowing that we're there can lighten that burden for them. Exactly. Plus the other thing is parents have to remember that your kids are watching you. Your visual learners are watching the expressions on your face and your auditory learners are listening to the conversations in the next room. And your kinesthetic learners are seeing every time you clutch your throat or or put your fingers to your face in, in shock and horror as you're watching the news. And they may not come up to you and say, what, what's going on? They are just going to be in the other room going, oh, am I safe? Are they safe? Are we going to be okay? And they may not bring that conversation to you. So periodically, it's good to check in with your kids and say, so with this stuff that's going on in the world, how do you feel about it? I mean, the last couple of years, we've been dealing with viruses. But back when I was a kid, the issue was about um, 
nuclear power deterrence and things like that. And, and we were, I was a kid, so I wasn't really paying attention to the threat of who had a nuclear bomb and things like that. But I wondered, are we safe? Is it okay? And I would have these weird dreams about things and I didn't even watch the news. So it doesn't really matter where we are historically, your kids are watching you. So every now and then check in with them and say, so this stuff is going on. What have you heard? What have your friends told you? What do they say at school? So if your kid isn't someone who talks to you well, then, or easily, I should say, asking them about what's going on out there is a nice way to get in through the side door in a conversation. Instead of saying, how are you feeling? That might make them feel too much put on the spot. Well, that's what I was thinking about is you were saying, have these conversations with them, which I absolutely agree. Anyone who's been a longtime listener knows we are constantly talking about having mighty parenting conversations with our kids around all these different topics. And yet one of the things that we're digging into a little today is those times where we don't have that relationship where we have easy conversation with our kids and how we can maybe get to that point. And I was talking about the eye rolling and the door slamming is they're, they're kind of indicative of not having that of, I think if our, if our child's rolling their eyes at us, like we need to pay attention and go, what is this telling us? So I'm going to ask you, Deborah, what is it telling us when they do that? Well, first of all, I'm going to reframe the thinking about this stuff. Okay. The, when the kid's having a tantrum, it's pushing every single button in your mommy body, every single one from the noise coming down to the helplessness you feel about it, to the resentment that you have to stop what you're doing and take care of it. I mean, every single button gets pushed when you are faced with a tantrum. But the important thing to remember is, A, the tantrum is something that is happening to the child. It is not something they are doing to you. That is them lost and at their wits end and needing to be rescued. And number two, if they could do it differently, if they could be having a calm conversation with you about this problem, they would be doing that. But obviously they can't. They know that the tantrum is going to push you further away or have emotional or physical repercussions from you. So that's not their first choice. And then the third thing is be thankful for the tantrum because that is a flag to let you know where your child is at. If your child is going through all these emotions quietly in the other room and not telling you, then you don't know that they need to be rescued. But the tantrum is wonderful for letting you know that your child needs to be rescued. And I don't care if your child's 25. When well, that's where I wanted to go for a second, right? You're, you're using the word tantrum, which is something we tend to use when we talk about our little kids. They're they're little kid tantrums. They're terrible twos and they're tantrums. So what does a tantrum look like in a, let's say a tween, a teen, a 20 something, and it might be different in those ages. What, what do tantrums look like for our older kids? They look like the, basically the same thing, the yelling, the slamming the door, the rolling of the eyes, the, um, um, stomping off to their room. Um, if you're, if, if it's, gotten to the point where it's escalated to like throwing things and you've got a different issue on your hand, but those are still tantrums. They're all signs that 
your child can't cope. Think about it for yourself. When you're when stuff's going on in your house and you want to yell, you're like right at that point where you can't cope. And that's what's going on with your kid. And your kid knows when you're yelling that on some level, they know that you're at a point where you can't cope. But I also want to point out the, the upside about all these behaviors. It turns out that many of these behaviors are self-soothers. For example, um, people who are listening, right now, take a deep breath. This is not a meditative breath. Take a deep breath and exhale it really forcibly. Forcibly. Go, like, make it sound like an exasperated sigh. Just do that. And then you'll notice there's a different sensation in your torso when you do that. And if you do that and you try to focus on making that sensation be a sense of relief, so you purposefully say, I'm going to exhale hard and I'm going to feel relief. <sighs> that is actually a yoga move <laughs> that people do when they're exasperated and it helps take the um, pressure off of the, the lid off of the pressure and let some of that built up tension escape. And another thing is, um, if you want to do a quick fix for yourself to make yourself feel better for just a moment, cast your eyes upwards, just look up and you will feel a sensation in your torso. Those two things, that exasperated sigh noise or the sigh of relief and this um, looking upward, they generate your happy hormones. It is a physical reaction. So when your kid is rolling their eyes and blowing out their noise and this, their breath in this noisy exhalation, that is self-soothing. That is them calming themselves down. Unfortunately, <laughs> knowing that does not stop you from reacting to the feeling of being insulted. But if you understand this is what's going on, you can go from feeling like you're being attacked to understanding that your child is trying to rescue themselves. They're not attacking you. They're trying to figure out how do I feel better? And they roll their eyes back and they slump their shoulders back and tilt their head back and, and stomp their foot and go, <sighs> and then they say, mom, you don't understand. That is self-soothing. And that statement, mom, you don't understand is code for, I need rescuing. So the, the new story in my head, as I hear you describing this situation, is now instead of looking at it and going, oh my gosh, I have a 12 or a 16 or an 18 or a 22 year old who's got these, who's having tantrums. Now I look at it and go, it's not about these behaviors. I have a child of whatever age that needs help. And so then I can get curious and go into the detective mode and go, what do they actually need help with? Do they need to learn emotional skills? Do they need to learn problem solving skills? Do they just need someone to listen to them? Do they need to know that I really am here for them? Like, is it really more that relationship level that we just haven't firmly established? Well, you also have to remember that it can change day to day, minute to minute. So it could be all of those things. So like what I do with my daughter, she calls me on the phone. 
she's 30, she's 31. So she calls me on the phone, mom. And I know when I hear that voice that we're about to launch into something. So I say to her, what's my role here? Sometimes she'll say, I just need mom advice. And sometimes she'll say, I want you to listen like you're my friend. And sometimes she'll say, I just need to vent, which is code for don't say anything. <laughs> I mean, it's not a secret code. She and I have established this, but I need to hear don't say anything. And so she'll be going, and I can't handle it. My mommy wants to fix, step in and fix things. So I'll say something. She goes, mom, I'm just venting. And I go, okay, that's right. This is not real. This is just expulsion of the pent up emotions. So, but here's the thing. You can't just jump into it with your kid. You can't just say, okay, now that I've got this information, I'm going to approach this differently. This is where two things are important. One is transparency and the other is um, recognizing what's going on. So what I mean by transparency is if you're going to try something different with your kid, you have to tell them. You have to say something like in a calm moment, it's not related to any kind of stressful situation. You have to say, you know, I love you so much and I think that we can do better in our relationship. And I just heard this fabulous, mighty parenting podcast episode where I learned this thing and I'm going to be trying it. So the next time this happens, this is what I'm going to be doing. And I'm telling you because I don't want you to freak out when I do it. For example, a, an easy way to freak kids out is a self-soother called the fake smile. So when you smile, your body creates a whole set of hormones that go start in your gut and go to your brain and make things happier, right? If you fake smile, your body cannot tell the difference. It creates all those hormones anyway. So if you're in the middle of an argument with your kid and you think, oh, this is how I can interrupt this and you fake smile at them, they're going to think you're a crazy person. So you kind of have to tell them ahead of time, this is something I'm going to try. So Definitely. I can totally see that one. And if, if we haven't had a chance to have that conversation with them, though, I, I still feel like if they're throwing a tantrum in that moment, I can just stop and, and just tell them, say, I see that you're experiencing a lot right now. I want to help you and I'm not sure how to do that, or I'd like to help. And this is what I'd like to do. Cause that is one of the other things is our teens don't like us just jumping into things, even though they need rescuing, they they worry about us jumping into their lives and just taking over. It's one of the reasons they don't talk to us is that we just take over and they don't know what to expect. And then they have to mop up the mess that we make. Yes. Um, I just backing up to something you said about, um, I don't, um, I, I don't know how to help you. The whole phrase that you should use is I don't know how to help you yet, but I will find a way to do this. Because if you say, I don't know how to help you, that makes them feel cast adrift. Like, then it's up to me. I have to figure this out. So you have to say, and especially when there's things going on that are tumultuous in our, in our world, you have to say, um, I'm going to take care of us. I've got your back. We're going to be okay. And when things change, we will adjust. And if I don't know how to make the adjustment, I will find somebody who does 
and I will make sure that we are okay. You just have to keep repeating that message over and over and over. Okay, Which now, we've had back- some practice with because this, these are the conversations that we talk about having. And I love that it is the same foundation. We, we're building on this foundation that we've heard for different areas. It's not like we have to do something different to, to help our kids in different areas. We want to keep having the conversations, letting them know that they are in control of their life, that we're not going to jump in and take over. But as you just taught us that we need to go, yeah, okay, I am, I am here and we got this. We'll figure it out together. But the, the idea that they're not adrift and, uh, and alone in this. So if you don't have time to talk to them before this next tantrum happens and you are in the middle of the tantrum, then I would say to them through the closed door or whatever, I love you so much. And when you feel better, please come and talk to me and we will solve this together. And then you step away and you say, I'm going in the other room. I'll be waiting for when you can come, when you feel better. And you just leave it at that. When do you feel better? When you feel better? Because tantrums are like lighting a match. It flares up and then it dies out. It does not last forever. No one has a tantrum forever. What about about our kids who, I'm going to say, have a quiet tantrum? You know, they are just as overwhelmed, just as adrift, but it doesn't come out in those outward signs. They tend to draw inward and shut down. The, um, before I address that, I would just want to address how to talk to your teen about the tantrums during the calm time. And what I'm about to say will actually apply to those kids too, the, the ones who are internalizing things or not exhibiting the loud symptoms. So what you do is you pick a time that is calm and then you say, excuse me, then you say, I wanna talk to you about when you're having this tantrum. The thing is, it's so obvious that there is an issue that you're trying to communicate to me, but to be perfectly honest, I am distracted by the yelling or the stomping or the arm waving or the door slamming, whatever it is that your child does, I am distracted by your anger, the way you just, you exhibit it. And I really wanna focus on your words, but I don't hear them. I keep paying attention to your behavior. So this is what I'm gonna do. The next time you get that upset, I'm gonna step away and give you a chance to collect yourself. And then I'm gonna come back and you will be able to share your com- your problem with me because I am here to help you with your problem. And instead of it being you against me, it's gonna be you and me against the problem. So don't be upset. If during a tantrum, I I say, I'm gonna step away. I love you, but I'm gonna step away until you feel better. And then we will get together and we will solve your problem because I love you. I love that. And I love you and me against the problem. Yes. Yes. That's really and, beautiful. And you may get a, an initial negative response like, oh, you don't, you can't help me. You don't understand. Then you just say, if I can't do it, then I will find somebody who can. But it's you and me against that problem. And from the understanding side, I, I find myself wanting to say, 
I may not understand what you're feeling or thinking. I need you to tell me about that. Is that appropriate? Um, for, for some kids, it will be. If that does not work with your child, it will depend on the way they process things. Um, if that does not work with your child, don't think that you've made a mistake. It's a, you've got a different personality type child there. That's all. And so what you have to do is experiment with the things that work with them. And during a calm moment, you can ask them, how do you feel when I say, I don't know, I want to help, I understand. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel secure or does that make you feel like mom doesn't know what she's talking about? And what would be better for me to say? What, what would make you feel better? And then if you can't have those conversations with them yet, again, go through the side door, have other conversations with them. Like I just read this ridiculous article in a newspaper. Look at this. How do you think your best friend would feel about this article? Or I saw this thing when I was standing in line at the grocery store. How do you think your best friend's mom would feel about that? Then they're talking about something that's not focused on them and you'll hear their views and their opinions as they pass judgment on how other people are reacting to things. But you'll understand them better. And you'll be creating a little bit more foundation to your relationship. So when you're talking about things that are important and stressful and and, uh, emotional, you'll have this other foundation that you will have been building. And that foundation is really basically trust. Right. And I was going to ask about that. But before we go there, I want to just circle back to our kids who tend to move inward. They're quieter kids. They withdraw, you know, in fight, flight and freeze world, there are freezers rather than our our fighters. And and they're the flight. Yes. Yeah. So they're frozen and they're scared. Um, The best thing that you can do to them for them is recognize what you're seeing. So it's not that if things are quiet, then there's no problem. It's that you need to understand what is going on with them. Now, I'm about to launch into a whole different subject because this is very important for this part. The, um, I do, I have this thing on my website about um, learning styles. And I do learning styles because I'm a teacher, but you can go online and find, I mean, you can find it on my website, but um, you could go find any kind of personality tests online. And what you do is get free ones. I'm all about doing stuff for free. There's plenty that are free. So what you do is you, well, I'm going to go back to learning styles just because everybody who is here listening has students. So you might as well get this double-edged benefit here. Everybody has a learning style. Sometimes it's combinations of styles and it's the way we learn. It's the way we take in information. It's the way we process information and it's the way we do relationships. So if you have a, a child who's a visual learner and a parent who is an auditory learner, this is like, very basic example here. And the kid's watching TV and the mom comes in and says, take out the garbage when you're done with the show. The kid says, sure, okay, I will do that. So the mom 
leaves. A couple of hours later, TV's off. The garbage has not been taken out, right? And then the fight ensues, and and um, the kid feels attacked, and mom doesn't get it, and 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 why did that happen? And she should know I'm I'm a good person, and why is she mad at me, right? But if the auditory mom had written a little note and said garbage and stuck it on the table in front of the kid when the show was over, then the kid would see the note and say, ah, because a visual person processes things visually. And we'd go off and do it. You know, the, the parents upset because they have been going through five years of repetitive um, take out the garbage moments. And, and nothing seems to work, no matter how many times they say it, no matter how many times they punish, no matter how many times they take away um, privileges, the, it, the kid doesn't take out the garbage when they say take it out. And that little tweak that you can do will help. So I know that sounds very basic, but if you take the um, quiz, the learning styles inventory, and you identify your learning style, and then you have your child take it and have them identify their learning style, right? Then you will be able to capitalize on the similarities and differences so that you can bridge that gap for each other better. Plus, for people who are learning at home, like homeschoolers or distance learners or whatever, you will be able to find ways to help enhance the way your child is learning in this environment that's not a traditional classroom environment. Plus, the other thing you do is you take the quiz a second time pretending you are your child and you have your child take it pretending they are you. And what we find is that the parents get the kids right. They identify their, through observing them, they understand who that child is. The kids, almost 100% of the time, assign their own personality type to the parent because they can only see things through their kid lens. So if you've got a, a, a student who is a um, kinesthetic learner and you've got a parent who's a visual learner and there's a situation, then the parent is going to say, um, why isn't this done this way in, in their visual way? And the kid is going to be doing it in their physical way. And they are going to clash on that. And the kid will be shocked because they'll say, but everybody would have done it this way. Why is the parent upset? Because they don't understand who the parent is. And again, it's just a valuable conversation, whatever assessment you take. We had that at the, I think it's the beginning of the pandemic. My husband and I came home and my two girls were sitting in the living room and having this in-depth conversation about Enneagram styles. And so then the four of us got involved and we don't have time to go into all of that here, but just having that conversation and letting your child even know that other people do things differently and reminding ourselves other people do things differently and then coming to an agreement on, okay, so how is this impacting us? How can we interact in a way that works better for us? And, and that's will... one more thing about that. There's plenty of stuff. Once you take those quizzes, like my favorite ones by Gary Smalley, um, Otter, Lion, Golden Retriever, and Beaver. That's my favorite one because it's short and sweet. But there's lots of information out there that says if you're type X and your 
spouse or your child is type Z, then this is the way you bridge the gap. So you don't have to make it up. You can go look it up. There's information out there that says, this is how I make them hear me. This is how I get my message to them. This is how I receive my message for them. And going back to your quiet learners, I mean, quiet people who express things quietly, they don't know how to bridge the gap to a boisterous parent. They don't know how to recognize what is right and what is wrong in those situations. And so helping them with these quizzes will help them understand and help you understand them better and give you a conversation you can have for them about this is, you should come and talk to me when you are stressed. When I was a kid, I used to write my parents all these notes because I was that quiet kind of person. I didn't yell. I didn't throw a tantrum. I, I didn't actually do that till I became a parent. <laughs> but um, I was a quiet child and my release was writing. All right. And this also is going to help us build trust. And yes. so tell us just, I know there's a lot, but tell us one thing we can do to build more trust with our teenager, to enhance this relationship in the conversations? I, I would say the most important thing would be to get yourself on those personality quizzes and identify who that child is, who that teenager is. Because once you see who they are and how they process things, you can approach them with information in that style. And once you have a couple of successful situations with them, they will start trusting you that maybe, maybe mom gets it. Maybe I can talk to her. Maybe I can share this problem my friend is having. It just seems like our kids will feel seen and understood. And that is the core yeah. Of trust and what yes. we all want. We all want to be seen and heard and understood. And the thing is, your child wants to be close to you. I don't care how much they're pushing you away. If you have a relationship that's anywhere within the scope of normal, I mean, you know, nothing abusive and none of that stuff, your child wants to be close to you. That's a given. And if you could just hold on to that, then that will help you soldier through all this murky stuff. Well, and I know, Deborah, you have a lot on your website. You mentioned a couple things during the show. So would you just share your website so we can find you online? Yes, it's DeborahAnnDavis.com. That's Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-A-N-N, Davis, D-A-V-I-S.com. And there's, uh, my blog is there, Mary Meddling, where there's a lot of articles in there. You can just put in the search window there, um, um, learning styles, and you'll come up with a couple of articles there will help you through that. Um, basically, you can put in anything in there. I, I kind of cover a lot of different things. Fantastic. And thank you so much for taking time and sharing this with us. I I love what you did in the book. You turned it into uh, basically a, a parenting manual, life manual that we can kind of go through and get the pieces that we need when we need them. And, and we'll have links to your website and the book in the show notes for the show. So thank you for being here with us today, Deborah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the work that you do. So important.
Thank you. And Mighty Parents, thank you for joining us today. I love being here with you and I appreciate you. Please share the show with another parent so they can get what they need to be confident in their parenting and grow their relationship with their teenager. And remember that if here, if you are here, if you are listening, you are doing the work, then you are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.